0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 41, um, we'll be continue, we're continuing our, de, our detour series. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, and this, this is no joke, before when I was prepping my sermon, uh, I had even written this out. It's kind of become a joke um, this week because I couldn't tell you how many detours I hit this last week. And this is before I broke my foot. So on uh, Sunday night, I was going up to the For the Church Conference at Midwestern Seminary. We we're going up to set up and uh, hit a detour on the way up on uh, I-29. There was some stuff going down. I mean, it's Sunday, right? Like, there's no traffic on Sunday. And I'm going, I don't even think to check my map, and I'm going all says like, oh, no, traffic, and I just passed the last exit, right? So I sit in that detour, um, or, well, it was kind of a detour. There was a wreck, so it was kind of a detour. Uh, Monday, when we're coming back, um, I hit another detour because they actually had construction going on, and uh, well, there was construction, then everything coming into downtown on 29 was, was red. Everything at the, at, the four, or at the 70 and 435 was red. So I was like, oh, I'll go back roads. Well, it took me 55 minutes to get home. Um, Tuesday, I had a meeting with the pastor. And on my way to the meeting, um, <laughs> I show up. The maps are taking me, right, the certain direction. I show up. There's a detour. So I have to go like five minutes north to the next road that I could hit to go back to the west so I can go south. So I was late to the meeting. Then I'm leaving that and I have to go to the doctor's appointment or my eye doctor's appointment. And I'm heading to that. Well, there was a detour. Stuff was closed. So I detour off that. Then there's a wreck. I detour around. that. I'm like, good grief. What the heck is going on this week? Right? And then Thursday night, I break my foot. So um, <laughs> never, never expect everything to go the way you planned, I guess, is the way we kind of learn things through that, you know. I've thought about all of this detour mentality, and, and, and most of you could probably put uh, into your own life the detours that you have faced. You can acknowledge and admit when you hit a detour in life where you went a direction you never intended to go, but as a result of that, there were things that happened. And we've, we've looked at the life of Joseph over the last couple of weeks, and we've seen that Joseph had no control really over anything that went on, right? He was sold into slavery by his brothers as a result of, of favoritism of his father. There's, there's some things that go on there. After he's sold into slavery or, or sold to the, the Ishmaelite traders, they then send him or sell him to Potiphar. Potiphar places him in charge of his household. After a while, he's, he's thrown into prison because Potiphar's wife said or accused him of, of uh, attempting to to do stuff with her, and he had ran from the situation. You know, then as he's thrown into that prison, he, he comes into contact with the cutbearer the, the and the baker, right? And he thinks, man, this is going to be an option. He's, he's placed in a position of authority over these guys. They're released. He's like, hey, don't forget me. And they do what? They forget about him. Right? And today we're gonna to look at this idea. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the, the sermon title is Promoted in God's Time. And I want you to understand this is that oftentimes when we go through detours, what we notice or what we feel and what we see is the bottom, right? We 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 see the struggle, we see the difficulty, we see where we fall into, right? And there's there's something great to be said about being promoted or bring, being elevated in God's time, right? When, when God uses the detours that we go through to get us into the circumstances or situations that we need to be in in order to, listen, in order to go to what he wants us to do, in order to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. And you can look in your life most likely and say, man, these are, these are some very serious detours that I was on, right? Right? Some of them may have been detours you created based upon decisions or indecisions, right? Some of them may be uh, detours that are created by other individuals. And that's what I want to remind you, if you remember going to Genesis chapter 50, we're kind of looking at this, the life of Joseph and this idea of detours, remembering the context of what happens in Genesis chapter 50. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph says to his brothers, listen, what man intended for evil, God intends for good. So it may have been, honestly, a decision that you made that led you into your detour. It may be a decision of somebody else, the sin that somebody else led or or did against you that led you into your detour. But listen, every detour God uses, every detour God uses to get you into the position or place that he has for you. And I believe that that's one of the most important things we can learn all throughout this, this section of Scripture. Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 50 is this, that when I go through a detour, God must be doing something in my life to prepare me for something that I don't see right now. That's the reality. That's the, heart, the hard thing to walk through. But our hearts oftentimes say this. God, if you loved me, you wouldn't take me through this detour. God, if you cared, you wouldn't allow this to happen to me. And what I want us all to understand and to know is this, that I don't care who you are, I don't care where you've been, I don't know what you've gone through, all of us are going to have detours, every one of us. Some we can look and go, man, that was a great detour. Some we can look and look back and go, man, I never want to do that again right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, God, if, if best, matter of fact, like, mm, yeah, right? Like the minute I knew it happened, you know what my first thought was? Oh, crud. I don't get to play softball. And then my thought went to, oh, crap. I got to have crutches and a boot like those are the things, and listen, like you may look at this, oh, that's that's insignificant, right? And it is, but it's annoying. And detours oftentimes can be looked at as annoying when the reality is this that when I rest in God's sovereignty and allow him to work out what he wants to work out, to prepare me, what he's wanting to prepare me for, then the annoyance turns into listen a celebration because God says, look, see, I got you. I had you the whole time. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 41, we're going to read the first um, eight verses. Now I will warn you, I'm going to preach through the whole chapter, but if we were to read the whole chapter, I'm going to spend 10 to 15 minutes of time and no offense, I want to challenge you to go home and read it. I'm going to focus on the main things so that we can then get into what we want to do. We will unpack most of what's going on, but I don't think it's necessary to necessarily read Pharaoh's dream three times, because that's kind of what goes on. So Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 1, and it says this, when two full years have passed, everybody say two full years. Two full years years is a long time, isn't it? Right? When you look at two years, if you were to even think back two years ago, you'd be like, man. That was a little bit ago. So if you keep in mind what has gone on in the context, the cupbearer and the baker, they were released. The baker was killed. The cupbearer was restored. But now two years has happened between the time that the cupbearer was released and Joseph is still in prison. So keep this in mind as we get into this because it's important for us to, to know the facts, right? Two full years had passed. Pharaoh had a dream and he was standing by the Nile. Keep this in mind that the Nile is the source of life in Egyptian culture, even in Egyptian what we'll call afterlife. If you were to study the afterlife of the way Egyptians looked at the afterlife, the the Nile is the source of life, okay? So Pharaoh had a dream, he's standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows sleek and fat. I don't know how they're sleek and fat. They looked beautiful, right? All right. So they're sleek and fat. Like if I'm like, you look sleek, I wouldn't expect your next words to be like, dude, you're fat. (laughs) But they're sleek and they're fat. And they gazed among the reeds, or grazed, sorry, grazed among the reeds. And after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and they stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows, and then Pharaoh woke up. It says he fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. And after them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. And the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads, and then Pharaoh woke up, and it had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. Anybody ever have problems when you wake up for a dream and your mind might be a little troubled or worrisome. And that's exactly what Pharaoh is experiencing. It says, today, I'm reminded, or sorry, he says, in the morning he was troubled, so he sent out for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with the servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he had interpreted them to us and I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought up from the dungeon. And when he shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And I believe Joseph answers wisely here, I cannot do it. (laughs) Imagine that thought process right now. Man, if I tell him I can't do this, This is not boding well, but he answers and clarifies, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Not the the answer that Pharaoh wants, but Pharaoh wants an answer, right? A lot of times we go into this relationship with God and we want him to answer things our way. And the, the, the beauty of this is this, I think Pharaoh is hoping that he's going to get a good interpretation of the dream, and it's the dream or the desire he wants. And what, what Joseph is saying is, I'm going to give you the, the, the answer that you want, but it may not be the answer you desire, right? In other words, I'm going to point out the truth of what's going to happen. And so today, as we look at this, I want us to know that God uses our detours to prepare us for the destination he has, And now we're going to begin to see the destination that God has brought Joseph to. That every detour Joseph has gone through happened for a reason. Why? So that God could use what Joseph had gone to, to elevate him into a position he needed to be in, in order to lead the people through, guess what? A detour. And God wants to use you and prepare you in the midst of your detours so that, listen, when you go through... These detours, he's preparing you, he's maturing you, he's building you, he's growing you, and when you come out and he elevates you, he leads you into a place of, of of prominence, a place of influence in somebody's life, that you can work with them, you can talk to them, and you can point them to the truth of God so that they can walk through those detours they face. That's exactly what goes on. The nation of Egypt as well as the region, is getting ready to go through a seven-year detour after seven years of abundance. And God has spent 13 years prepping Joseph for a 14-year journey that he's about to lead the rest of Egypt through. Listen, never underestimate the power of what God wants to do in preparing you for what he's preparing you for in the future. In other words, it's this way. When I'm on my detour, even though they may seem long, they may seem insignificant, God is using your detour to prepare you for something greater in the future, and you and I don't know necessarily what that looks like. Joseph would have never imagined, if you think about it, keep in mind Joseph's original dream that he presented, or dreams that he presented to his father and family. Someday you guys are going to bow down and basically worship, is what the, 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 the adage is. And all of them are like, what? what are you talking about, bro? You're a pretty arrogant little punk, right? You're the 12th of us, right? You're nowhere in the totem pole, and you're going to tell us that we're going to bow down and worship? And Joseph's like, yeah. But Joseph would have never imagined that it would have led him to a completely different country, under different authority, away from his family, not even knowing if his family was still alive. And yet, Joseph is placed into a prominent position in order to lead not just the nation of Egypt, but the surrounding countries in the midst of their greatest detour. So, here's the big idea for everything. I want you to remember this that God elevates leaders. God elevates leaders in his own timing and way in order to be a blessing in good times and bad. Listen, some of you may sit back and say, well, I'm not a leader. You are. Listen, all throughout Scripture we see there are leaders of hundreds and fifties and tens and smaller groups. Everyone in some way, shape, or form has leadership or influence over other people. And so when I say this, that God elevates leaders in his own timing and way in order to be a blessing in good times and bad, I want you to keep that in mind, that you have a position of influence at some point in time. Why? Because God is building in you, God is working in you, and God is maturing in you to prepare you for what he has for you in the future. We keep that in mind. And so you are, you may say back again, I'm not a leader, you are a leader, God wants to elevate you. God wants to bring you into a position of influence to use whatever detour, whatever growth, whatever maturity you're going through in order to help somebody else in the future, to point them to the truth of Christ. So I got, again, five things. I know in the past, most pastors have three, but I have five. Number one is this, that God elevates us in his timing and we must be faithful. Keep this in mind, that God elevates Joseph in his timing. Remember this, Joseph was 17, he was sold into slavery or sold to the Ishmaelites. Then they sell him to Potiphar. He's with Potiphar for a while, but then he's thrown into prison. In prison, it says there was some time and then another portion of some time. And then after that, we get to verse, or chapter 41, verse one, and it says, and after two years after that, So what we know about this, even if you look at at, at chapter 41, verse 46, is that Joseph is now 30 years old when he gets into his connection here with Pharaoh. 13 years of preparation, 13 years of detours. Now listen, I look at my life and I go, man, that detour, you know, that was a six-month detour, that was a nine-month, oh, that was a year. Imagine 13 years. Thirteen years and to a certain extent, three of that, roughly three of it, in the pit of despair, in the dungeon of the king. And so here we are that God elevates Joseph in his timing and what we see is this, that in every circumstance and every situation in Joseph's life, that Joseph was faithful and obedient to God. If you're faithful with the small things, you're going to be entrusted with what? What? greater things, according to Scripture, that when I walk in obedience to God in the small things, then I can walk in obedience to God with the large things. If I want to lead my family properly, it's, it's day by day, step by step, leading them in the small things. Most of us look and go, well, it's got to be the big things that matter. Yes, the big things matter. But if I make the small decisions right at the beginning, then the big things become easier and easier that God, I want to walk in obedience to you. And that's exactly what happens. So Joseph had spent a little more than two to two and a half years in prison. And at this point, he's been gone from his family for 13 years. And so the big idea to me is this, that you and I have no idea what God is doing to prepare you for the future he has for you. Every detour, every Everything that we look at that would be maybe an annoyance, a problem, a struggle, a difficulty, a trial, a detour, every one of those is God's opportunity to grow you, to mature you, to help you learn what it means to follow him no matter the cost, so that you can be a blessing and an influence on those that you're around. Do you ever think, I want want, want you to ask yourself this when you go through a detour. Do you ever think, man, God, what are you preparing me for? Do you ever ask him that question? Like, God, if you're taking me through this, what are you preparing me for? Or do you go, why, God? Why do you hate me? Why, why? Well, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because most of us tend to lean into that question. When the reality is, never underestimate what God can do in your detour to prepare you for the future work he has for you. And I, I look back and I was thinking of my detours, boot camp, time in the Navy, getting out of the Navy, thinking I was going to go back in the Navy, meet my wife in New Mexico. Never would have thought about that, right? Like Wyoming boy, Indiana girl, meet in New Mexico, get married a year later. That don't make sense. That was a detour, Right? My detour into ministry, I'll never forget to tell my dad, dad, I'm called to ministry. No, you're not. You, you could do anything else. Please don't go into ministry. I've seen what our church does to pastors, right? Like, and I'm sitting there going, uh, <laughs> okay, detour into ministry because I had every intent of going back into the Navy to fly F-18s. That's the reason I got out of the Navy, to go to college so I'd go back in. God changes complete direction because he's like, I'm calling you to ministry, right? Going to Texas to get our seminary degree, going to be a youth pastor in, in Springfield. And then I think about our, our greatest detour, which I shared our first week, basically being asked to resign from ministry and me sitting back. And this was my direct statement, find God if that's the way it's going to be. In the words of an old song, you can take this job. And, and God was like, who the heck are you, bro? <laughs> like, are you serious? You're going to have that kind of attitude toward me? And I remember my wife telling me that point blank, like, uh, yeah, I don't want to be near you. (laughs) I don't want to get struck by lightning. (laughs) Every detour was God preparing me. And I can look back now and I can go, oh, man. God, you were preparing me for something that I never dreamed about or never even Saw. So listen, God elevates in his timing. As a matter of fact, we brought this up last week. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. See, Joseph had a state of humility. He had an attitude of humility that said, God, obviously you got something bigger that I'm not sure I understand, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to a certain extent, I'm gonna go with the flow. I'm gonna follow you obediently. So keep this in mind, that God elevates us in His timing. In order, or in, in, in order to do that, I think that we have to be faithful. Number two is this, that God gives the wisdom to understand His will and plan. Now, here's the crazy thing about, about this dream, right? Pharaoh, you're talking about the, 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 the king of Egypt, right? He has everything under his rule. And if you were to look, I kind of pointed that out, the Nile is... The the essence of life in Egyptian culture. Matter of fact, if you were to look just a little bit further, you would understand the reason why the 10 plagues in Exodus were so, so powerful. Because what they did is the 10 plagues showed authority, the authority of God over everything that the Egyptians looked at as gods. The Nile being number one. The Nile represents eternal life. And at the end, when a Pharaoh dies, for those of you who don't realize, when a Pharaoh dies, basically he, he dies and he every night he's going to travel along the Nile River. And when the sun comes up, for those of you who don't realize that, that the Pharaoh is looked at as when the, or the sun is looked at as the reincarnate Pharaoh, that when the sun comes up, that Pharaoh has made it again through another night of eternal life. And that's why the Egyptians get to experience it. So there's a number of things that go on when we see the Old Testament that God continues to show his goodness. And so there is something to be said. He's standing by the Nile. It represents life in Egyptian culture. It represents life in Egyptian spirituality. And it literally says that up out of there came two cows, right? Right? And these, or sorry, seven cows, they were sleek and fat. These are, there's an abundance of what's going on. These cows are healthy, they look good, they're prime, they're, 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 they're plump, they're ready to eat, right? Like, hmm, yum, it's almost hunting season. Um, so, but then it says that seven cows that were ugly and gaunt came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river. And Pharaoh doesn't understand what's going on. He has this dream. And he sees these cows, and then we see he sees the, the seven heads of grain. And he doesn't understand what's going on. And listen, I look at this to a certain extent like this. People are looking for direction and meaning in life. People are looking for hope. People have dreams. People have visions. But yet at the same time, they don't understand what's going on and how to interpret it. And God, I believe, is very clear in his Word. When you want to find direction in life, you have to go to the source. And the source is not the things you earn or gain. The source is God himself. Why? Because he's given you the things you've earned or gained. He's given you that as a stewardship thing. But what we also know is this, that in the midst of this this text, in the midst of this dream, that there's some, something's going on, right? Like, the, the the ugly, gaunt cows ate up the, the the fat, sleek ones. And he says, I don't understand what's going on. And so there's no answer for the dreams, including from the magicians and the soothsayers of those days. Now, for those of us who don't realize that, that would kind of like be us, uh, be us going to be, maybe like a tarot card reader or a psychic, right? That's a lot of times what would happen is they would have these magicians who would who would try and determine or interpret the dreams of the kings. And none of them, none of them can determine it. And that brings us back to the cupbearer who basically lays it out and says, oh man, and I want want you to get this idea of what takes place. Because when the cupbearer says, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings, do you know what that word shortcomings is? Sin. It's the Old Testament word for sin. He said, today I'm reminded of my sin. Number one, my sin against Pharaoh because I didn't tell him about the wisdom of this man I met in prison. Number two, my sin against Joseph because I told him I would remember him and I didn't. Now, most of us look at ourselves as Joseph, right? Matter of fact, we're trying to learn some of that from a Joseph standpoint, But Joseph really represents, to a certain extent, Jesus. I made that correlation back in the very first sermon. But what we're seeing here is this, that they had forgotten Joseph. He had forgotten what Joseph had done for him. He had forgotten Joseph had given him wisdom and interpretation of the dream. And most of us, when God gives us the wisdom, will forget God. We forget Jesus. We turn and we walk from him. And so in Genesis chapter 40, Joseph reminds him and he says, listen, I can't interpret your dream but because God is the one who interprets the dreams. And what I want you to know is that in the midst of your detour, God is the one who gives you the wisdom and God is the one who gives you or releases his will to you and shows you slowly, step by step day by day, what that is gonna look like and how that plays out. So God gives us wisdom to understand his will and his plan for us, but sometimes we just gotta wait on him. And that's exactly what Joseph does. As a matter of fact, he points it out in verse 16. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Listen, God will give you the answer you desire when you're looking for it. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In the midst of your detour, are you seeking God or are you kind of looking for your own way? Do you go and pursue God through his word, seeking him in prayer, asking him for guidance? Or listen, are you the type of American Christian who says, I'm just going to suck it up, pull up my bootstraps and get to work? Because let's be realistic. Most Americans struggle with that mentality. I just got to suck it up. And sometimes I think the greatest thing you can do is not have that mentality, but have the mentality that says, I have to seek the Lord. When you walk through a detour, do you seek the Lord in prayer? Or do you begin to bow up and say, I just got to do it. I got to get through it. I got to fight. All of those things play out. So keep this in mind. God gives wisdom for us to understand his will. Here's number three. God gives Joseph the wisdom to interpret his dream and plan. That's what we see in verses 14 through 16, where he talks about that, that God gives Joseph. God had put Joseph in to all the detours he'd gone through for this very purpose. Now keep this in mind. Joseph is getting ready to reveal the truth about this dream. But Joseph also says, I can't do it, but God can do it for you. And so God, Joseph is the, is the, to a certain extent, the middleman who interprets exactly what's going to happen as a result of Pharaoh's dream. And I want you to know, and, and, and myself to know is this, that when God takes you through a detour and you begin to grow and you walk in faithfulness and he, he's creating in you something, he's, he's growing in you something that's going to be an influence in the future, that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to use you your experiences, your past, your detours, your struggles, and the maturity that's come as a result of that in order for you to be a blessing to other people, in order for you to tell people the truth of who Jesus is and what God offers through Christ. So listen, Joseph went from rags to riches. A matter of fact, if you kind of think about it, Joseph went from riches to rags to riches because what you're going to begin to see is this that Joseph lost his father's signet ring. The signet ring would be the thing that the father gives to the son. He's giving authority over everything. Joseph loses the signet ring of his father. Joseph loses his coat of many colors that his father loved. And listen to what happens in this chapter. Pharaoh places upon him the signet ring of Pharaoh, meaning that no one other than Pharaoh in all of Egypt has any authority higher than Joseph. Keep that in mind, Potiphar. Your wife that threw me in prison is now under me. Matter of fact, Potiphar, guess what, buddy? You're under me, right? So Joseph has the signet ring, and then it says he was dressed in the royal robes that no one would be greater than all of Joseph. So what Joseph must have looked like and smelled like, think about this. In verse 14, it says that Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought up from the dungeon, right? And he, when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came, from, came before Pharaoh. Most likely, you can only imagine, Joseph had to stink like, you think about some of the movies where guys have been in dungeons, their hair's like all frizzy, they got these beards, um, like, you know, and they're like, yeah, you can't go before Pharaoh like that. And here's the beauty of what ends up taking place. Here's the beauty of what we begin to see. That Joseph is given this new position. And listen, when you come to faith in Jesus, you're given a new position. You are a son and daughter of the king. You were blood-bought. You were redeemed by Christ. And he gives you a new position. And he gives you a new life. It says that Joseph was given a new name, and that new name had meaning. And your old name may have an old meaning, but Jesus gives you a new name, a new life, a new hope. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone the new has come. So he's given a new position. He's given new authority. He's given new clothes. He's given new life. And that represents exactly what God wants to do in your life and in my life, that when you go through the detours and we walk by faithfulness and we stay close to him, and he elevates us to that position, and we can walk with a new life and with new hope and with new meaning and a new direction and a new plan and a new will. Why? Because God has a greater story in store for all of us than just walking through a detour and not getting anything out of it that God wants to elevate you in the right time, that God wants to use you in the lives of others so that the stories you've gone through and the detours you've been through and the difficulties you've faced, that God can say, listen, I can redeem and restore those. Why? Because I'm the one who makes all things new. And that's exactly what he wants to do. An addict new. Matter of fact, I'm just going to say this, and I know, listen, like if you're an addict, I get it. They they, they tell you over and over again once an addict, always an addict. Man, let me tell you something. That is my biggest struggle. You want to know why? Because that's like saying once a sinner, always a sinner. Yes, yes, it's true. But listen, God gives you a new name, God gives you new hope, God gives you a new purpose, God gives you a direction, God gives you a, a meaning and a plan and a will. Listen, if, if you can, once an addict, always an addict, then I can say once a porn star, always a porn star. Once a sinner, always a sinner. Once this, always that. And, and that's not the reality. God makes you something new. The old is gone. He doesn't give you new bodywork, like if you were to wreck a car and take it into an auto shop. Like you just totaled the car and he shows up with a brand new one and is like, here you go, you got a new one well, I kind of want this old one fixed. No, I'm giving you new. That's exactly what it, what it communicates. In verse 32... When, when Joseph lays this out, he says that the dream came in two forms because it's God has firmly decided this is exactly what the future is. So I want to wrap up with this as we close. I got two more points, but I want to unpack these in a very simple way. God elevates Joseph for a greater purpose is number four. And if you look and you follow along, what Joseph does in this dream in verse 25 and really in verses 46 and following, he says that Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh, of Pharaoh are one and the same. And God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one in the same dream. And the seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They're seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be for Listen, here is the reality of what goes on. God oftentimes puts us into positions of abundance and blessing, but they're for a season. And then there are going to be times we're going to walk through a drought or, or an absence, a famine. And one of the things we can look back and see is this that God gave Joseph or elevated Joseph for a greater purpose so that he could speak the truth to people but i want us to know this that god does the same thing through his word that in the midst of the abundance and blessing that you prepare for a future of absence and famine because we all know that there are storms and seasons in life and so joseph walks through these dreams and he tells pharaoh listen here's the reality you're going to face seven years of great abundance in the land and seven years of great famine. So you need to find a person. Listen, you need to find a person who is going to lead the people of Egypt through this. Notice Joseph doesn't say, well, I think I'm that person. God elevated Joseph to the position that he was at at this point, And I believe that as a result of God's blessing, remember we see that consistently that God was with Joseph, God's blessing was upon Joseph, God's favor was upon Joseph, that God opens up Pharaoh's heart so that Joseph can speak truth and wisdom, not just to Pharaoh, but to the people of Egypt as a whole, to point them to the goodness of God. The God who would lead the Israelites out of eventually out of slavery to Egypt in the future and things like that, God elevates Joseph for a greater purpose. So never underestimate what God is doing or what God may be preparing for you in the future. Never underestimate that, because the simple fact is that we see that Joseph was appointed as a play, at a perfect place in a perfect time. That's what it says in verse thirty nine. Verse 37, sorry, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom the spirit of God is? Like Joseph was a living example for God in the midst of Pharaoh who would sit back and go, nah, I don't really believe in that. Why? Because Pharaoh became God when he died. Pharaoh was God in reality for most of those Egyptian people. And he says, listen, the spirit of God is upon that man. So in verse 39, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So God elevates Joseph for a greater purpose. And I believe with God's timing... Each and every one of us, when we walk with faithfulness and obedience to what God has laid out before us, that God will elevate you in the lives of others so that you can lead them, so that you can shepherd them, so that you can point them to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And number five is this, that I believe that God gives us enough in the absence. Here's the beauty of what takes place here. Joseph spends seven years, think about this, seven years preparing for a famine. Like, no offense, but I'm kind of thinking at at year four, I'm going to be going, eh, maybe we can cut into the surplus. You know what I'm talking about, right? Ah, we can cover it, we got it. But Joseph is faithful to exactly what God had revealed in that dream. And so for seven years, It says he took a portion. Now, to keep this in mind, he took 20%. 20%. Now, I know like, I'm not even necessarily going to get hard and heavy into finances, but I want you to also know this. that Most of Americans, we don't plan like this. We live on 95, and we might be generous with 5. Biblically, biblically, I can give you reasons why I think you should be on an 80-10-10 principle. Live on 80, tithe 80, save 10. Or I mean, live on 80, tithe 10, save 10. But I also want you to know this. That doesn't mean you only just have to save 10. I believe in order to prepare for the future storms and things that come up, that you should save more. So you stop living high on the hog to a certain extent, and you start saving for those things that come up. So that you can be a blessing to those who hit a rough time. So that when all chaos breaks loose like is currently going on in our certain economy, that you can be somewhat okay. And you can learn to provide. So listen, God gives us enough even in the absence. And that's the beauty of what we end up seeing. All throughout this text, it says, verse 47, during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. And Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt. And in each city, he put food grown in the fields surrounding it. To the point, listen, to the point in verse 49, where he says he served, he stored up so huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea, it was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Like, he's got grain coming out the ears. It's everywhere in the land of Egypt. But listen, here's here's the beauty. That in the midst of the famine, in the midst of the drought, in the midst of the seven-year detour that the whole nation of Egypt and the surrounding countries are going to take, God always provides enough. And my question to you is this, is God enough? Is God enough in your life when you face the detour? Do you rely upon God to get you through those? Do you make wise decisions that when you're, there's seasons of blessing that you prepare for the future? Are you, are you looking to the bigger picture of what's going on and, and what God wants to do? Do you, do you plan so you can be a blessing to those or, who are around you? Are you a person of influence that when God elevates you, you can speak truth in their life so that they can walk through the detours and the storms they face? But is God enough for you in that? Because what we see is that the wisdom of God was enough. And I love how the story wraps up because it says, not only was Joseph given the robe, but Joseph was married to a woman and he, Potipharah. she was the priest of, uh, the daughter of, of Potipharah, priest of on, but as a result, they had sons. They had Manasseh and his name was Manasseh because it said is because God has made me forget all of my trouble and all of my father's household. God had answered his prayer, Joseph's prayer. And he has another son, his second son, he named Ephraim. And it says, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Listen, in the land of your suffering, God wants to make you fruitful. That there is not, there is is a reason for the detour that you go through. And oftentimes you may not look at it, but it's because God wants to make you fruitful for the seasons he has in store for you. So I go back to that question. Is God enough? Do you rely upon God in the detours? Do you call out to God for direction and hope? God, reveal to me what it is. Never underestimate what God can do. Think about this. It took 13 years of preparation for the 14 years that Joseph was to lead these people through at this time. Now, you and I may look at that and go, yeah, it was worth it. But at the time, Joseph was probably at times thinking, man, God, what are you doing? And I believe that Joseph also was like, God, whatever you're doing, it must be good. Because you're working everything out for your glory and for your purpose. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are faithful. We know that you are faithful to provide all our needs, that you meet us, you meet us in our difficult times and the detours that we face and the struggles and difficulties we walk through. And God, I thank you for the hope we have. I thank you for the fact that you give us a new name, a new purpose, a new vision, new life, and new meaning. And So maybe, maybe some here today have walked through a storm. They're in the middle of a detour. They feel like they're in the dungeon. They're looking for hope. And maybe they do not. Maybe, maybe today you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Listen, today may be that just that simple thing that you cry out to him. That you acknowledge him, that you believe him. You believe he died on the cross for your sins and he rose again. Today may be that day that you just need to commit your life and say, hey, listen, I want to make this public. I want everybody to know that I want to follow Jesus. There's a simple way you can do it. You can talk to me at the end of the service. I'll be at the back. You can let us know on your connection card. We'd love to follow up with you. But we want you to let others know to make it public. Today, maybe you're carrying a heavy burden and you don't know what to do. Here's what I want to do just today. Um, At the end of the service, if you want somebody to pray with you, my wife will be down here, Chris will be down here. I'll be at the back. We want to pray with you. We want you to know that in the midst of your detours, that we're right here to walk alongside it with you. We want you to know that God's going to walk with you through it. And so we're, we're here to pray for you. And maybe that's just your next step. So Father, today we pray that you would change our hearts, that we would not underestimate what you want to do in and through the detours in our life and that we'd be prepared to follow you knowing that you are enough in every circumstance, in every situation, that when there is absence of food and everything else that it says that you will provide all that we need according to the riches we have in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.